welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We are doing a series right now called, come on, say it with me, Rebels. Riots and revolutionaries, and it is basically an overview of the book of Acts. The book of Acts can be found in the Bible, and basically the book of Acts is an overview of what happened at the start of the Christian church. It gives us an account of the birth and the growth of the Christian church. And uh, if you've missed any messages so far, then feel free to download them from iTunes or our website because they've been great. And uh, do yourself a favor and, and download them. Now, the main purpose for our series is simply this, is that we become inspired and that we learn from the lives of the people who made part of the early church. Who's been inspired a little bit? Who's been encouraged a little bit? I know I have. And um, tonight we pick up the account from chapter 6. And uh, at this point in time in the story, everything is going pretty well for the Christian church. Thanks to a guy called Gamaliel. Gamaliel basically stood up in front of the people that were trying to persecute the Christian church and said, leave them alone. Don't worry about it, guys. Look, if what they're trying to do is from human origin, it's going to fail. However, if God is with them, then not even you and not even me can stand against it. So let them go. Don't worry about it. Chill. Just forget about them. Just let them go about their merry way. And so they let the apostles go. And uh, I love this. We hear that they let them go, but with one more warning, not to preach about Jesus, but also with one more beating. Do you remember that? They gave them just one more beating for good measure. But what I really love is their reaction to these, the apostles, the way they reacted. And my Bible tells me that they rejoiced. They rejoiced at the fact that they got beaten and they considered themselves worthy of suffering for Jesus. How good is that? Imagine believing in something so strong and so passionately that you're humble enough to, even if you get persecuted, to actually rejoice and say, whoa, thank you, Lord. Thank you that my body's sore. Thank you that I just got beaten up because I am actually worthy to suffer for you. Who wants a little bit of that passion? I know I do. Anyone else out there? I would love to do that. I mean, this week I prepared for this message with a bit of a man cold, and I thought I was suffering for Jesus. You know, I'm there, Lord. How can, you let, how can you do this to me? I mean, I'm preparing for a message and, and I get a bit sick. Come on, heal me. And then I read that these guys get beaten up for Jesus and they go, yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that I can suffer for you. So maybe I need to man up or just uh, read this a little bit closer. Um, now, so they went off their merry way. They got beaten up and they continued to preach Jesus and they continued to win converts. And then they began to get another problem. Another little problem began to happen, and it was simply this, growth. They actually began to experience a lot of growth. The Bible says that many were added to their number. So they preached, and, and, uh, and people were saved. And that brought in itself a little bit of problems with growth. Who's ever, ever experienced a bit of problems with growth? Anybody? Yeah, I know I have. Uh, my wife and I, oh, I'll tell you what, we've got four kids now, but before that, we just remember the days when we were dinks. Remember when anyone here used to be a dink? Double income, no, uh, no kids. Oh, remember those days, darling? That was great. Remember that? Remember all the spontaneous nights out, the, uh, the splurging? Remember money? Money was good. 
I don't see that anymore. Someone once told me that being a dad is having pictures in your wallet where you once used to keep money. And that is very, very true in my case anyway. But with growth, you get problems. I mean, now we have to lead our home in a whole different way. We've got, to have, we've got to strategize everything, every move. I mean, even on Friday, we had this invite, and we couldn't get babysitters. I tell you, we've got to plan everything six months in advance. We want to do something. We want to go to the shop. I tell you what, it needs a committee. We need to, we need to have a big meeting about it and say, well, you look after this one, and we'll drop it there, and you'll buy that. I tell you, it just brings problems. Growth can bring problems. And this is what the uh, apostles were experiencing at the time. They were getting all this growth, and they began to have to really reconsider the way that they led their church, the way that they led their people, particularly in the uh, area of food distribution. We hear earlier on that uh, they distributed everything to the people according to need. So picture it, the apostles were responsible for preaching, for teaching, for defending themselves, defending the faith, advancing the kingdom, and making sure that everybody had enough of everything. Now, that was getting a bit too much for them, especially because of the increase in numbers, and so they had to reconsider the way that they led. And that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight, leadership. We're going to look at the way these guys began to change their leadership in order to cater for the needs of the growing church. That's going to be my focus tonight. I've simply called my message tonight, Leading a Rebellion. Um, so Leading a Revolution in keeping with our titles. And uh, we're going to be reading from Acts 6 verses 1 to 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts 6, verses 1 to 7. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, it will be up on the screen. And uh, we're basically just going to read these few verses and uh, have a look at what we can learn from their leadership. And most importantly, because this is what I think is the beauty of what we're doing, what, this is what we're trying to do, this is at the heart of our messages, it's not just to st- study the Bible and see what's in it, but just to see what's in it and to see what we can learn and most importantly, apply in our lives. Okay, so I think there's a few really good things that we can apply in our lives here. So... Um, read with me. Uh, it simply says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that's the ones from um, Greek origin, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you uh, who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm full of faith right now because I'm trying to pronounce these names. Um, Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pamenus, and Nicholas. That's not bad. From Antioch a convict to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I think there are some great ideas about uh, leadership that we can learn here. And the first one that I want to draw your attention to, uh, we see in verses one to two. uh, And it's simply this, that good leadership confronts. 
Good leadership confronts. It says here that the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this is what's happening here, okay? A problem is, is happening. An issue has arisen, okay? They're growing, but the widows, these widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And this is a big problem. They almost make it a a, a racial issue. It becomes a bit of a culture thing. I mean, imagine in our church, a culture group, a particular culture group, out of one of the many that we have uh, in, in the life of our church, saying, hey, we're being overlooked here. We're not being taken care of. This was a serious problem. I mean, imagine Peter Doe leading an Asian uprising in our church. I mean, that's, that's how serious it would be, you know? And so that's what's happening. And so they bring this issue to the apostles. Settle down, Pete. Don't worry about it. Um, they bring this issue to the apostles. And uh, the, I love the way they react. They react by confronting the situation. They don't ignore it. They don't, they don't think, uh, well, let's hope it goes away. They don't try and sweep it under the carpet. They don't think, oh, it's too hard. We're too busy. And maybe they could have. I mean, they were busy preaching, spreading the word, confronting persecution. I think they would have been excused to, uh, to think, oh, it's too hard, don't worry about it. But they don't. An issue is brought up, and good leadership confronts issues. doesn't ignore it. They get on the front foot, and they respond by confronting the situation. I think that is a great example for us to learn from when it comes to leadership. And I think in light of that, we should ask ourselves, when we read things like this, well, how good am I at confronting Am I confronting the things in my life that I know I should be confronting? Am I confronting those personality issues that I know that I have that I should be confronting? Am I confronting or avoiding? What do I do more of? Do I confront or do I avoid those things that I know that are just too hard, far too difficult because I'm too busy? What about those situations at work or in your school or in your ministries or whatever? Are you confronting Or are you avoiding? I think in light of what we learn and read in Scripture, we need to be able to ask ourselves that. In light of this, what do I do? This is the example that I said, am I confronting or am I avoiding? I mean, that's a great question to ask. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had dinner with some friends, and uh, my wife absolutely destroyed the dinner. It was fantastic. We were uh, sitting around together, and uh, the conversation took place about a certain issue that somebody was having. So my wife just asked a few probing questions. It was fantastic. But then we had that awkward moment when uh, the person that she asked broke down in hallowing tears in the middle of a dinner party. And then the awkward situation continued when the husband's got his arms around her, giving us daggers about what we were asking. And then the dinner hosts, they're just looking down going, oh no, our beautiful dinner party is, uh, is going nowhere. We worked all day on this, you know. And my wife is just like going, oh, you know, she know what to do. She, all she did was confront and ask a few questions. And I'm, and I'm sitting there just killing myself laughing because I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Which is, I just, yeah, exactly. I'm just like, well, this is great. What's, what's going on? But it was good. Sometimes situations need to be confronted. Even if it doesn't seem like the right time, it doesn't matter. Sometimes the, the, the time is there to ask the necessary questions. How well do we do that? Do we confront people or do we avoid people? Even if it means maybe bringing a little bit of a strain to a very well-organized dinner party. I mean, as a church, we try to model this. I mean, we confront injustice. We confront poverty. That's why we have an Indonesian um, uh, project coming up soon. Because 
because there's poverty there that we want to confront. That's why we have so many different ministries. That's why we have a cafe. That's why we have a playground. Not just so that kids can have fun, but we want to confront a lost and dying world out there and say, you're welcome. Come in and learn about Jesus and learn about God. We want to confront these situations. That's why we do that as a church. Um, Romans 5.8 says uh, that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God models it. God confronts. While we were dead in our sin. When we don't believe in Jesus, we are dead in our sin. We are going nowhere. But even in our sin, even in our filth, even in our non-belief, God confronts. He came and confronted with his love, with his passion, with his sacrifice. God is the God who confronts. God is the ultimate leader. And as the apostles confronted this very difficult situation, this is what we need to do. And I believe this is what the challenge is for us tonight. I was trying to ask, okay, God, what, what is the word for tonight? And I believe there are, there are people in here, including myself, that there are things that we need to confront more in our lives, in our personal lives. I know this, this week, for instance, I just had some feelings that just weren't right. The way I was feeling about certain things, certain issues, just wasn't nice. Just wasn't very good. And then I got all joys mire on myself. And I started thinking, you know, the reason, why, the reason why I'm feeling this is because of the way that I'm thinking. Seriously, it's my thought patterns. I totally got all joys mire on me. Um, I started channeling joys. No. Uh, I, just, I just got before God. I said, God, why am I thinking this? Why am I feeling this? And God just said to me, because of what you're thinking. Change your thinking and your feelings will change. So I, got, and I tell you, you know, often we get up here and we, and we testify about things that we do as preachers. I tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm being honest. I'm not there yet, but I know the issue and I'm working on it. I'm confronting this thing head on. And I'm changing my thought patterns and slowly the, the feelings change because I'm confronting it. So my challenge for you tonight is think about things in your life, in your world that you know need confronting and do it. Go for it. God is with you. God is on, is on your side. And it'll be, you'll, be, you'll uh, change uh, your world the way that you're supposed to. So the first thing that we see, I believe here, is that good leadership confronts. Something else that we read here in, verses, uh, sorry, in verse 3 is that leadership consults. Good leadership consults. And I, I think this is crucial for all of us because all of us have been led, uh, we, we need to lead something, whether it be our families, our ministries, ourselves. I think we can all learn from good leadership models. And um, here it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now, here's what's happening. Suddenly, there's a problem. Widows are being overlooked. They gather the people, and they defer to their wisdom. They don't hide away. They don't think they've got the monopoly of the whole truth. They don't think they've got all the answers. They don't think they're too good and think, well, only our ideas will count. And again, possibly, they could have been justified in thinking that. I mean, they were, after all, the mighty 12 apostles, finger-picked by God. But they don't. They say, look, we see the situation. We need seven men. We need seven men filled with the Spirit and filled with wisdom. This is what we need. We've worked out what we need, but you choose them. I think that's huge. I think that's crucial. They consult the people. They involve the people. They defer to the people's wisdom. They don't do it all by themselves. They consult. And I think that's what good leadership does. It doesn't believe. It doesn't matter what the position. It doesn't believe it has the monopoly of the whole truth. Good leadership always humbles itself and consults. And that's what we see the apostles do here. 
And this is what I think we should ask ourselves again more of. How often do I consult? How much do I consult? Do I have a pattern of consulting in my life? Or do I wait until everything is going bad, until everything is breaking down, and then I seek some advice? And then I wait. We need to be a people who often consult, who consult about our marriages, our ministries, our parenting, whatever it may be. I often ask people a whole heap of questions. Whenever I meet married people who've been married for 50 years, 50,000 years, I ask them, tell me one advice. What would be one bit of advice that you would give me about a long-lasting marriage? And a while ago, we had a couple of people visit our church who aren't even Christians, and uh, they've been married for about 40 years. So I asked them, I said, look, you've been married for a long time. I've been married for just over 10 years now. And uh, what would be your one piece of advice? The one thing that you would advise me so that I could have a long marriage like yours? And the lady looked at me and she said, never go to bed angry. Never go to bed. I went, well, very good. I'll make a note of that. But then I said to her, you know, you, you, you just preached to me. You just spoke the word of God to me. And she went, what? And then I talked about the scripture, about not letting the sun go down in your anger. And then we had a really good conversation. We can learn from each other when we consult. I consult everybody. I, I consult kids. There's a kid in our church. I won't expose him because he's here tonight. Uh, but he's got lots of sisters. Um, and um... hey, Peter, you're gone. Um, and uh, this, this boy's got lots of sisters. I asked him once, um, I said to him, look, you've got lots of sisters. My son has got three sisters. What would be a piece of advice that you would give him? Yeah, and I was dead serious. I, I want to know, you know. So you've got lots of sisters. My, my son's got lots of sisters. What advice would you give him? And he, without flinching, said to me, tell him to never, ever get involved in their arguments. <laughs> this, is, this is gold. This is like... He's not the only rainbow I'm going for counselling. I'm going, I'm going to the others. That was fantastic. Uh, he go, and I said, why is that? And he said, well, because if you get involved in their arguments, they'll either drag you in or they'll lash out at you. <laughs> so tell him whatever he does, when they're fighting, never get involved. I mean, that is gold. That is gold. And I, said, I wouldn't have learned that unless I consulted. I consult anybody. We, in, in our connect group, we've got young people coming to our connect group. And uh, I said to them, you know, you're close in age. You know, I've got kids close in age. You know, what would be a parenting tip that you could give me? And they just look at me like, why are you asking us? You lead this connect group. I'm there, yeah, I know, but I just, I just want to know. I want to know what you think, you know? And they gave me this awesome answer about, you know, you show love to one in front of the others. Make sure that you show love to everybody. And I went, wow, that is fantastic. You know, this good little reminders. I love consulting. I love asking people because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. So my challenge for you tonight is you've got many areas of your life that are really important. Do you have a pattern of consulting, of doing what the apostles did here and humbling yourself and deferring to other people's wisdom? As a church, we model that. You know, Tony, the person who leads this church, often gets up here and seeks your perspective, seeks our perspective. Never our permission, otherwise he wouldn't be leading, but he seeks our perspective. When we're going to bring leaders on, when we're going to start new ventures, when we've got new ideas, he stands up and, we, and as, a, as an eldership team, we ask, what do you think? Give us your ideas, your thoughts. Give us your perspective. Give us your wisdom. Give us your guidance. What do you think? I believe that we model that really, really well in this church because it's a value that I believe is vital when it comes to good leadership. And it's a value that's very clearly expressed here um, in this passage of Scripture. Proverbs 15.2 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. 
Not with one or two. And I believe this, this also speaks of constancy, continuity, with many advisors. So when I've got an idea or a plan, I ask everybody that I can think of. Somebody asked me the other day, uh, advice on a business venture that I, want, that I want to get into, so we talked about it. And this person has been praying, reading the Word of God, uh, doing all the, you know, the fasting and, and the seeking and you know, waiting on God and all the good stuff. Um, but then I asked him, look, you want to get into this business venture, have you spoken to business people about the current business climate? And he went, oh, no, I haven't. I said, well, why don't you do that? Why don't you get a whole heap of uh, business people from our church and ask them, look, in light of the current business climate, would it be wise for me to do this? And no, don't just ask one person, but ask a whole heap of people. And I know he's done that. I know he's annoyed a few of you asking these things. Um, but uh, but I, think, I think it's good to get as much advice and counseling as we can, because as the Word of God says, plans fail for lack of counsel. Not because we don't have the right heart. Not because we're not smart enough. But there is something wise about deferring to other people's wisdom. And that's what the apostles do really well here. They defer and they show us that good leadership consults. Moving on down, um, down the verses, uh, verses 3 to 6, uh, I believe show us this, that leadership also commissions. Good leadership commissions. If you read with me, the apostles say this. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose all those names. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what's happening here? There's a problem. They consult other people and now they're giving other people authority to take care of the problem, to take care of the situation. They commission other people. That's what commission means. Commission means a granted authority. They don't try to do it all for themselves. They don't think they're the only ones fit for ministry. They don't buy more than they can chew. They commission other people. They say, we will turn this responsibility over to them. And that's a great example for us as well, as far as what good leadership is. It commissions. I said before, we have a growing family. And I'll tell you, now we've got to commission all sorts of jobs. You do the dishes. You do uh, the car. You do this. You do the budgeting. I, like, I do the budgeting in, in my house, but, and that's my job that you know, my wife and I have commissioned to me about it. Not because I'm better at it than her, but it's just because I'm, I'm good like that, and, and, and I can do that. It doesn't mean she doesn't care about our finances. It's just, it's my job. We all have different roles in our family. Not because we don't care about those things, but because when you're growing, you need to be able to commission and grant other people authority so that they can fulfill the work that everybody needs to get done. Maybe sometimes we need to commission more. Maybe in your situation right now, there are things you need to let go of. And you need to, because those things are just dragging you down and they're not allowing you to do the very thing that you need to be doing, that you should be doing. Are there areas in your life that you, know, you, you need to relinquish and commission other people to fulfill? I think that as a church, we again model this really well as well. We, we've got all sorts of ministries. We've got deacons. We've got elders. Uh, we, you know, we've got a seating team. We've got a pastoral care team. And we have things like that. They're all structures, but that's because we have a growing church and we need to have those things. And I don't ever think any less of somebody in Pete's pastoral team who is going to come and talk to you because you think, well, why can't I get Pete? Mighty Mr. Pastor Pete. Why can't I get him? Well, you are getting him. 
Because the person that's going to see you, somebody who's been commissioned by Pete, who's been given authority by Pete, someone who Pete trusts, someone who Pete loves, someone who Pete knows will fulfill the right commission in your life. So never look down on people who have been deferred authority, who have been given authority over other situations. And also don't think that it's because people don't care. Don't think it's because Pete doesn't care about you. Don't think it's because Tony doesn't care about us that maybe we don't see them as often as we can. It's because simply if they tried to see everybody, if they didn't commission those, that, that, that work, then this wouldn't, be, this wouldn't exist. This church wouldn't have advanced. The kingdom of God wouldn't have grown. So always remember, when you, when you see, you know, oh, a structure here, when you see, oh, a roster here, when you see, oh, we need a team here, or we need five teams for that, or, or a seating plan, it's not that we don't care about the seating plan. We talk about the seating plan. We know how we want the seating plan to look, but it's not, it's not that we don't care about it when we ask and commission other people to do it. So don't ever look down on deferred authority. Deferred authority is needed. And trust the leadership when, when people have been commissioned to fulfill certain roles. Ephesians 4.11 says this, Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors and teachers so that his people would learn to serve and his body would grow up. God himself commissions. God gives different people different roles. He says, you do this, you do that. There's no hierarchy, just a difference in roles a commission role. And that's what I believe that the apostles are modeling so well here for us, that good leadership not only confronts, not only consults, but also has the ability and the wisdom to defer and commission its duty so that the whole body, the whole organization, the whole group can achieve all that it's meant to achieve. Good leadership also commissions. And something else that we see in this passage, and I think this is fantastic, is that good leadership reaps. After all, by their fruits you'll know them. Now you'll know a good leadership if it's actually reaping, if, if you see results, if you see health, if you see things happening. And in verse 7 it says, so this is the result of those three, of those three things being put into place. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What's the definition of insanity? Trying to do the same thing over and over again with no results. By the fruit you will know them. If these things have been put into place and done well, you will see the results. You will reap the benefits. We see here that it's, things are flourishing. The leadership is reaping. That the word of God is spread that the disciples increased rapidly, that priests were added. And this is huge because this is the first mention of priests being added to the faith. Now, this is big because it not only would have meant a completely different style of life for the priests, but just everything because even their livelihood. You know, these guys who gave their lives into serving in the temple were now being won over. That's a huge benefit. That's a huge fruit of good leadership. You should be able to see good leadership in, 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 its, in its fruits, in its goals, and in, in its rewards. I love this passage uh, because it starts as it finishes. At the start it says, starts with increase and it finishes with increase. Uh, in verse 6 it says, in those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing. 
increasing, things were going well. But then there was a problem. The problem was fixed with good leadership. And then at the end, we read again that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I think that is an awesome blessing. And I think, I believe that that's what God would have for us tonight. If there's been a lack in our lives, if there's something in our lives that maybe, maybe we're just not seeing flourish like it should, if there's things in our, in our, in our work or in our situations, in our university, in our families, in whatever it may be, it may be that you need to pray more. It may be that you need to fast more. I don't know. It may be that you need to read the word of God more. But it could also possibly be for you tonight that you need to really seriously consider how you're leading that situation and whether you're putting these things into practice. Or it may be how, how much are you submitting to the right leadership. It may be a question of leadership in your life. And just in conclusion, I, I think it's all about increase and at a personal level, at a work level, I believe that we need to evaluate where we're at all the time. We need to look at our circumstance. And like I said before, tick all the boxes. It's not always a spiritual problem. It's not always a physical problem. Maybe sometimes it's, the, it's a strategic problem. And I believe that if we turn to the word of God, we can see where things are lacking. And if we go through this, if we go through these verses, possibly we may be able to see things that we need to implement more of in our lives. Can I ask you to stand tonight? I'm just going to pray for you before I uh, hand back to Pete. Um, whether we need to confront more, consult more, or commission more, that's something that only you will know. That's something only that you can evaluate. And I'm just going to pray that God, through his presence here tonight and through the power of his spirit, that he might be able to highlight things in your life and in my life that we need to work on and take care of. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.